Welcome to Twice Born Podcast. I'm Mike Bailey. If you haven't already, please go to the website twiceborn.net. If you would like to reach out, please email twicebornministry at gmail.com. Enjoy. Today we're going to look at that idea of loving God with our soul. Loving God with our soul. As I was considering the topic of soul, uh, it really took me to a place in my life. And as I was listening to Betty share with us about the funeral and the little baby Nicole there, it took me back to when I was uh, a few years ago when my mother had passed and attending her funeral. And I can remember they had a viewing before to go in and see her in the casket before the actual funeral began. And I can remember going up to see my mother and realizing that that wasn't her. I looked and I said, that's, that's, that's her body, but that's not her. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life, but you recognize that these are just vessels. This body, this thing we're in, it's a vessel, but it's not us. Our soul is something much deeper within us. Our soul is the, the unique thing that makes us us. And when we recognize that our soul, we're told in Scripture, is eternal, we begin to realize the importance of loving God with all of our soul. And so we're going to dive into that. We're going to ask God to lead us, to guide us, so that we would have true understanding of what it means to love him with all our soul. So let's precede his word with prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for these moments when, Lord, there's clarity, when you anchor our soul, when you anchor our thoughts, that we're not distracted by the busyness of the world, the messiness of the world, um, even the hostilities of the world, that we can come to these times and just completely focus our hearts on you and recognize that we are eternally set into your kingdom. And that, Lord, our lives, uh, though they're but a vapor here on this life, our eternity is set in front of us. And, Lord, as we talk about these things, they can be confusing. They can be hard to grasp. And so I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would make these things clear to us, that we would understand what it means to love you with our soul, that, Lord, there would be no confusion, that we would walk away from this place committed to loving you with our soul. And, Lord, I pray that as we have this conversation, as we read your word, that, Lord, it wouldn't return void, that it would make an impact in our decision-making, it would make an impact in how we relate to others. And, Lord, that as we look at this, that, Lord, we would walk in your presence knowing you are in us and you are with us and you are guiding us at every moment. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you at this moment, that you would help them to see you and hear you and understand you right now so that we'd all walk together in this truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dive into some of the verses, the context, and I think this is important, people have asked me about this, even to this morning, uh, what is the difference between our heart and our soul? Spiritually speaking, last week we talked about the heart. And to the best of my knowledge, now, full disclosure, the Bible isn't absolutely clear on these things. Uh, God says, seek me and you will find me. And so there's a certain level I would encourage you to seek this understanding for yourself. Ingrain it within you so you can share it, so you understand it. 
But as I read scripture and I, and I study those that study scripture, the understanding of the heart is that we all have a spiritual heart. You and I in this room all have a spiritual heart. Every human has a spiritual heart and they're all the same. They're either alive or dead. They're either the heart that God gave us through the redemption, through what he did on the cross, through his sacrifice that we've received a new heart, and that heart seeks after God, and it is at the center of who we are, and that we all have this heart, or uh, it's a deadened heart that hasn't come to know and is rejecting and walking the opposite direction in rebellion against God. And that every human on the planet, their heart is either in allegiance and is alive and is seeking after God or, or in a relationship with God and growing in that relationship, or it is in rebellion and rejection. And so there's a uniformity to our heart. We all have a similar heart situation. It's interesting if you study the New Testament, it never talks about um, healing the heart. It talks about replacing the heart. It doesn't talk about making bad people good. It talks about making dead people alive. The heart is always referenced to something that has been completely broken by sin, that has been completely murdered and killed by sin, and can only brought back to life by the blood of Christ on the cross. And so your heart and my heart is the essential point of reference when we come to these moments, when we talk about these things. Is your heart yours and you still own it and it's dead, or is it the Lord's and alive? And as we talk about this, where are you? Is your heart alive? And so that's the part that God gives us the opportunity to give to him so that he can change. The soul is different. And when we read this verse, um, if you study the Greek, the word there is psyche. And many of you have heard that word before, psychology, the psyche, the person that I am within, the unseen person, your identity. It's the God-given quality that makes you unique. There is no other soul like your soul. Your soul was created on purpose by God to love him. And it was given to you as a gift. Do you know there's no one else that has ever lived, that will ever live, that is present today, that can love God with their soul the same way that you love God with your soul? It is unique. It is special. It is the you, it is the quality that lives within you that God talks about that he saves through Christ that lives eternally in the kingdom of God. It's the part of you that makes you different. It's the part of you that makes you unique. It's the part of you that God, through his splendor, as he's made every single thing in beauty and grandeur, every snowflake is different. Everything that we look at in this universe has a uniqueness to us. Your soul is the same. It has a uniqueness to it. And it's a powerful thing to recognize that God brought you into existence and he made you the exact way you are on purpose. Some of us look around and we judge each other and we say, I'm not like them. I don't have what they have. I, I'm not where they are. I've made too many mistakes. I've, I've gone too, down too many wrong roads. And, and how could God ever love me? How could God ever say that I am forgiven and I'm just a lost cause? And I was a mistake and people have told you you were a mistake. People have never said they love you or you're worthwhile or you have value. And you believe that today. You believe that God made a mistake when he put you here on earth, and I'm here to tell you that is a lie. Your soul was created by God on purpose so that he could love you, and you could love him. 
And so these aren't just my ideas. This isn't just what Mike came up with. This is what we're told in Scripture. So let's look and see where we're told there's a problem. We constantly are tempted to misuse this special gift of our soul. Did you recognize that today? We are constantly tempted to misuse our souls. Mark 8, 36 says, What is it good... What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Do you know I've been tempted, and I'm sure you've been tempted, to pursue your own lusts and desires to fulfill the desires of your soul? That your identity, you've tried to make yourself the most important thing and all the relationships is what can they give to you and every job it's about how they can make you happy and everything in life has always been about you and your personality and who you are and your soul being lifted high. I've fallen into that trap. And I think if we're honest, we've all at some level fallen into the trap of trying to make our soul the most important thing, of, of, of fulfilling every desire, of following every path that's going to make us happy. And yet to do that, to try to gain this whole world, we're actually losing the thing that we think we're gaining. And that's our soul. Because your soul and my soul was not created to be self-seeking. Did you know that today? Your soul and my soul was never created to seek itself. It was created to seek God and to love God. And so what does it profit you? What does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? If you had everything, think about it, and this is how I recognize it. Sometimes I think, well, if I had some more money, things would be better. If I had some more stuff, if only my situation was like their situation. If only I didn't have this problem. If only this aligned the right way. That's me thinking the world is the solution. That's me saying my soul will be satisfied if I have this, if that is in my life. If only, if only, if only, then my soul would be satisfied. My soul was never created to be satisfied by those things. And everyone you see and every commercial you watch and every advertisement that is put in front of you is telling you your soul will be satisfied if you do this. And every single one of those things is a lie. Because your soul can only be satisfied by loving God. Because that's what it was created for. That's why it exists. And so what does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Your soul, listen, this is so important. Your soul is the most important thing that you possess. It is the greatest gift that God has given you is your soul. How many times have you heard, I will sell my soul to the devil if he makes me famous? My soul is a commodity that I can use. No, your soul is the greatest gift you have, and it was given to you by God, and it was given to you for God. And when you recognize that, and when we share that, because there's a whole world that is seeking after satisfaction of their souls, and they need to know that they're being lied to. And we're constantly tempted by that. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. This morning, do you recognize that you are the temple of the living God? 
2,000 years ago, there was a temple in Israel where people would go to get right with God, and they would bring a sacrifice, and there would be priests there. And if you went there, there was a giant altar where uh, they would do burnt offerings, and then there was a basin where they would clean their hands, and these were to represent the sacrifice needed for our sins. And so you would go there to get right with God. The priest then would enter into the temple, and last week we talked a little bit about the temple, and we'll talk a little bit more today. But the idea was, is the temple was a holy place. The temple was a place to connect to God. And for many, especially Jewish scholars, they believed the temple was the way for us to get back to the relationship that we had with God in the Garden of Eden. That that's what God desires for you today. That that's what he desires for me. He, want us, he wants our soul to be in perfect relationship with him just as Adam and Eve's souls were in perfect relationship with him prior to sin. Do you realize the gospel is the cure to bring us back to that first relationship? Do you know why life seems to never make sense? Why is it so messy? Why in the world are they going to war? Why do people make these choices? Why is it so hard to do the right thing at times? Why do I fall short in these areas? Do you know why? Because we live in a sin-filled world. And not only is it all around us, it's inside of us. Do you know what you've never experienced in your whole life? A sin-free day. Where there was no sin on the outside and no sin on the inside. You've never experienced that. And because you've never experienced that, it's hard for us to truly understand what it means that one day there will be no more sin. The Holy of Holies showed us a picture of what heaven will be like, where there will be no more sin. It'll no longer affect you. It'll no longer affect me. We'll live in a perfect relationship with God. And so we have this challenge. We have this challenge because we've brought idols into the temple, this place that's supposed to connect us to God, this place that's supposed to be the image of what it was to be in the Garden of Eden. We're bringing in all of these false idols. And you know what idols they would bring in? They would bring in Baal or Moloch. And these idols were idols where you had to sacrifice your children to these gods. And you had to give your money in. And you had to, there was a, there was a sense of immoral worship that was going on in these temples that I wouldn't even want to share with you that what was going on. And these priests were participating in that and then bringing the idols into the temple. And we can look at them and we can judge them and we can say, how dare they do that? Why would they ever do that? But I look at myself. I have invited anger into my temple. I have invited injustice into my temple. I have invited pride into my temple. I have invited jealousy into my temple. How many false idols have you and I invited into our temples? How can they be in relationship? How can I love the true God and give him my heart, soul, and mind and still allow lust to live in that temple? How can I have this false idol of hatred and anger and bitterness that I think about? And here's how you know it's an idol. Because you think about it, you spend money on it, you, before you go to bed, it's what stresses you out. When you wake up at 3 in the morning, you're stressed out about it. Whatever that thing is that eats away at your soul is a false idol. And it cannot survive, they cannot coexist, the Holy Spirit of God and this false idol. 
And so we're told that's a problem that we all have. We, we, we have false idols in the same part of our, our temple as we have the holy of holies. And they cannot coexist. And so what is God's answer? What is God's answer to this challenge? Hebrews 6.19, it says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters where? It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The first part of this verse talks about that our souls can be anchored. Do you know we live in a time where nobody really knows who they are? Who am I? What's my identity? One day I'm this, one day I'm that. I, for many of us, for many in the world, your identity shifts like the waves in the sea. The wind blows in one direction and you're that. It blows in the other and you become that. And you don't know who you are because you have no anchor. What is right? What is wrong? What should I believe? What should I not believe? Jesus is saying when you give him your life and you give him your soul and you love him with your soul, he anchors your soul so you know who you are. And when the wind comes, you don't move because you are anchored in the gospel of Christ. God loves you for you, and he wants to anchor that soul in the gospel. And when you live for him and you submit to him and say, all that I am is yours, he takes that soul and he uses it as light to the world. And he uses it salt to the world because he's anchored you in himself, and it won't move. The anxiety comes when we're blown around, when the wind of challenge comes, when the wind of uncertainty comes, and it blows us in that direction, in this direction. We need to be anchored with our soul into who Christ is, and we don't look to the solution in the world. We don't even look to the solution within ourselves. We look to the solution within the Holy Spirit that lives within us, because that is the anchor of our soul. He has anchored us. And how did that occur? It's interesting. Now we see uh, you have the basin. You have the sacrificial area where they would sacrifice the animals. And then as you moved your way into the temple, the, the first room that you would come into would be a room where the, only the priests were allowed. And in this room, you would have the showbread table. One of the reasons uh, that we're told that we're to break bread, this is a representation of that, that the priests would put bread aside for God. We're told later that David went in there and he ate this bread because he was hungry. This is the showbread that it speaks of. It's in this place in the temple that only the priest was allowed to go. And also there was a place of incense. And this was the prayer. This, the incense represented the prayers rising to God. And as you come in here, sometimes you smell incense because that represents the prayer. We want to be a beautiful array, a, a fragrance to the Lord. And so they would enter this place and they would go into this place, but there was only one who was able to go further, and that was the high priest. And so you took seven steps into this middle room where the priests would come and pray and they would recognize the glory of God. And then only the high priest in only one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, was the priest allowed to go up the next set of stairs. And there was a giant door that had to be opened. It says it took up... Uh, 
three-fourths of the wall, this door was giant and golden inlaid. And they would walk through the door. On the other side of the door was a curtain that was blue and red. And on that curtain were two angels, representing the angels that we see in the Garden of Eden. And the high priest would pass through the curtain into the Holy of Holies where the Holy Spirit of God dwelled. And we were told if he was not right with the Lord, he would fall down dead. And there the, the ark would be with the covenant of God, the Ten Commandments and the manna and the staff. And once a year, the high priest would enter that place. Well, here we're told that Jesus is the one fulfillment of the high priest. When Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, to tell us thy, it is finished. What I have come to do is done. I have paid for the sins of man. At that moment, there was a great earthquake and there was darkness over the land and the temple curtain that was all the way to the ceiling ripped in two. It ripped in two. Do you know why it ripped in two? Because no longer was there was a curtain that divided you and me from God. No longer did we have to rely on that one high priest to go through the curtain to, to talk to God about me and you. Jesus went through and he tore the curtain and he said, come in here with me and dwell with me just like we did in the Garden of Eden. Come dwell with me just like we did from the beginning. Just because I created you for this moment, you live for this. Your soul exists for this. Do you get it? The Holy of Holies has been opened to all of us. We are the temple now. And the curtain has been ripped. And there is nothing that divides us from God anymore. And every single one of us in this room, we can either love our souls and reject the Lord, or we can love the Lord our God with our soul and pursue him every day of our life. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, though you have not seen him, I'm not aware, but I'm assuming none of us have actually seen Jesus in the flesh. Maybe you have, I haven't. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And what are you filled with? You're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Are you filled with inexpressible, glorious joy? Do you know every single human on this planet has an appetite for this? They don't know where it is. That's why they pursue it in every other place, drugs, sex, alcohol. They pursue it and pursue it because we all want this. And it only comes. It only comes when we love him. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. The verse concludes with this. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. The salvation of your what? Your soul. The thing that I own that is the most valuable to me is my soul. The thing that you own that's the most valuable to you is your soul. Who are you giving it to? What are you giving it to? Think about today. Think about your life. 
Do you know whose you are? Do you know who you are? There's no other soul like your soul. It's unique and special. It was created on purpose so that you could love God with it. This morning, we've gathered here, and the God of the universe, by his infinite love, has decided to share with us a truth that is eternal. What will we do with that truth? So many of my days I've played church. I've played Christian. I want to be serious about this. I want to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and all my mind. What do you want? What do you want today? I don't know how many more days you have. I don't know how many more days I have. But I know it's limited. And I know I'm getting one more day closer to meeting my creator. And as I think about that day, what an amazing thing to think, to give him the most valuable thing to me and hand it to him for eternity. My soul is yours. The thing that makes me me is yours. For your glory and for your kingdom. How do you apply this to your life? Take inventory on your soul right now. Who are you? Whose are you? Can you say with certainty that you love God with all your soul? Are there idols that live within you that have distracted you from loving God with all your soul? It's, it's almost impossible to love God with all your soul if you focus on bitterness and you focus on anger and you focus maybe just on anxiety of the future, uncertainty of what's going to happen. If you focus on the fact that you don't have something that someone else does, it'll be almost impossible for you to love God with all your soul. You have to sacrifice those things and say, God, I no longer want these things to guide my heart and my soul. I don't want to focus on those anymore. I want to reject those from my heart and receive you in every area of my life. To do that, it's, a, it's an act of obedience. It's a commitment of your heart and your mind and your soul, and you speak it, and you say, God, I need your help. I need you to help me to have a pure and committed soul to you. And so let's take inventory. Let's be honest. And once you've got to that place where you know I'm loving God with my soul, you need to ask for protection because the enemy, he seeks to destroy us. He roams around seeing who he can devour. He devours you with sin and destruction. Have you asked for protection today? Have you asked the Lord to protect your soul? Would you be willing to commit to loving God with your soul every day of your life? You know, it's really easy is for me to tell you this. You know, it's really difficult to live this out on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. It may stir your heart. It may stir your emotions. It may motivate you. But it means nothing if tomorrow I continue to seek the pleasures of this world. 
if I continue to seek the lies and deceptions that are all around me, if I make those the center of who I am and my soul, then I have wasted these gifts that God has given me. Will you commit every minute of your life to loving God with your soul? And you know the most effective way, and I hope that this, this connects. I've been a Lone Ranger Christian. Lone Ranger Christian is where you just try to make it happen on your own. You don't have anyone that you pray with. You don't have anyone you talk with. You don't have anyone that you study God's word with. And that is almost impossible to do. And you are vulnerable, and you are scared, and you are lonely, and you feel the anxiety of the world because you're doing it by yourself. Do you know what all of us need? Strong Christian friends. You need believers that speak into your life. You need guys and women that pray for you and walk beside you. And when you fail and when you do sin, they come alongside and help you get back right onto the track that God has given you again. We all need it. You need it. I need it. We need to be in this together. 